Last week we began a new series looking at the church. And uh, last week we saw that the church is an assembly, a people called out and called out for the purpose of following Jesus. And as we look at that and uh, what it means to be those people, those who have confessed Jesus as Lord, today we're going to look at what is the mark of the church? What is it that, that separates, you might say, helps you to say, yeah, that person is a believer in Jesus Christ versus another person? And what we're going to, to, where we're going to go for this is the gospel, or not the gospel, but the, the letter of 1 John. Now, we're going to go to the gospel of John for a little bit too. And, and there's a lot that's similar between the gospel of John and the first letter of John. But 1 John chapter 4, and, and this isn't the only place we could go to get this stuff. This stuff is throughout the New Testament. But I think John says it probably the, the clearest in this passage, and, and, and really, you could just start at the very beginning of 1 John, but we're not, we're not going to do that. We're going to just start at verse 15, and so yeah, we are jumping in on some thoughts that have already been there, and yeah, there's some good thoughts, but I have to limit myself. And so as we, as we go into here, we're going to look and see what are the, what's the mark, what is it that designates a Christian or a member of the church? John is saying in verse 15, he says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So right from the beginning, just like we saw last week where you know, the, the church is made up of those who confess Jesus as Lord, here the confession is that Jesus is the Son of God. And those, those are the, they're the same confession. You know, different words, same confession. The deity and the lordship of Jesus. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, we are told that God abides in Him. And that word to abide means simply to rest or to wait you know, and, and Jesus, when he sent the disciples out, he said, go to a house. If, if the person lets you come in, abide with him. Stay with him. Be with him. Stay in that house. Do your ministry from that house. And when it's time to leave, go somewhere else. Don't, don't go jumping around from house to house to house. But just stay there. And really, abide, that's probably the best word for it is to stay. That, that those who confess Jesus is the Son of God, God stays in him. He is consistent with us and that that we, in turn, will stay in God. And then at the very end, in verse 16, he says, after God is love, the one who stays in love stays in God, and God stays in him. And there's a little bit of a flip going on there. You know, it's God first, then us, then us, then God. And right in the middle of there is in verse 16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. And that is... That's the beginning of it, that, that we, have, we have come to know God's love. Not only that, we have believed in God's love. I don't know about you, but a lot of times the first thing is the focus on sin, the focus on a need of repentance, and all that is true. But the very foundation of it, the very beginning, is God's love. 
that, that we hopefully come to a place not just of recognizing our sin and our need of repentance, but that God truly loves humanity. That His love for us is real, and it is so real that He sent His Son to die on the cross for us, that He might save us, that we would not be condemned or judged, but that we would be saved. Love is the very beginning, and we have come to know it and have believed the love which God has for us. And if we have that, then we start to abide in that love. And, and so the, 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 the focus here for, for this passage as we continue on, what we're going to see is that as we live in God, we grow in love. That the very beginning is, is we, we have come to know. We, we, we learn about God's love. But when you first become a believer... You know, the love is, is kind of small on our end. It's all God, and for us, it's just a little bit. But as you walk with God, as we live with Him, as we abide in Him, as we grow in Him, well, as we are with Him more and more and more, we start to grow in love. And love becomes the mark, the distinctive mark of the church. And, and, and this is throughout this passage. We're going to unwrap it and unroll it, but... Love, above all other things, is the distinctive mark of the church in the New Testament. Uh, I don't know about you, I, I can think of some churches that are known for their focus on uh, righteousness. You know, making sure you've got all the information right. Or not behaving in certain ways. And all that is, to a certain extent, good. You know, we don't want to sin, and we do want to live in righteousness. But have you ever been in a church that was so focused on that you didn't really feel like they liked you? Much less love you? You know? They wanted you to change a whole bunch about yourself before they were really going to want to have anything to do with you? And maybe you've grown up in a church like that or been in a church like that and, and all you got was mostly judgment. You're not doing enough. You're not doing it right. And never the love. And sometimes, sometimes when we're saying you're not doing it right, you're not doing enough, we're, doing, we're saying it because we love the person, but it's not coming across. They don't feel that love. Right here at the beginning, part of the confession that Jesus is the Son of God is this focus on believing and knowing God loves us, the love that He has for us, and abiding in His love. As we live in God, the hope, the expectation as you grow in Christ is that you will grow in love. If, if our walk with Christ isn't resulting in us growing in love, something's wrong about our walk with Christ. It's twisted. It's not, it's not what He has intended. In fact, He says in verse 17, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. That perfected. We're not perfect yet. It's a growing stage. We're growing in it. That we might have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So right here he's saying, look, as we walk with God, as we love Him, as we grow in His love, as we live out His love, we're not going to be afraid of the world. We're not going to be afraid of the judgment that is to come. I would say even, you know, there, there are little bitty judgments that we experience. Right? 
People will condemn you for things. People will judge you for things. They'll say, oh, you were doing this this wrong. In the church, it kind of can get funny because people will judge you for not loving enough. And and then it can get really kind of hairy, can't it? When we're saying, oh, you're not being loving. And, well, that didn't feel very loving for you to say that to me. And we can think, oh, no, maybe I'm not a good Christian because I'm not showing appropriate love. Well, wait a minute, no, because we're growing in it, and maybe we just haven't gotten to that level, or maybe that other person is wrong. But if our focus is on Christ, if our focus is on God, that he loves us, and I know of his love, and I'm growing in his love, I don't have to be afraid of somebody else's judgment against me of whether or not I am loving right, or growing in my love, or doing right, because no, my, you know, maybe I'm not doing right, but my focus is on Christ. Maybe this thing is something I do need to change or work on or the Holy Spirit needs to work on for me, but I know my focus is on Christ. When, our, we, when we grow in His love like that, we have confidence in the day of judgment. And, and it, when it says, because as He is, so also are we in this world, it's not talking about that we're, we're, we're just like Him, but that as He is love, and as He has reign over the world, we can have confidence in this world. Just as He is, so are we in this world. And I think this is something that, as a church, we really got it. Not, not just the small church, but the capital C church in America. This is one of those things we need to stop being afraid. We need to start focusing more on our love. And that, that's a toughie, isn't it? When you got people that don't like you or, or that don't like their way of life, and they want to change everything that you do, it can be hard to love people, can't it? And, and, and if they don't love you, and you know they don't love you, they're of the world, and the world hates you. Uh, Jesus said, don't be afraid if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. The world hated me too. But instead of being afraid of them, and instead of trying to figure out how are we going to outsmart them and, and, and do a run around them, the, the greater question for believers is how do we love them? How do we love a world that hates us? How do I love a neighbor that hates me? They might not, you know, come at you with a pitchfork. But if they're of the world and you're of the Lord, they're not going to be simpatico with you. How do I love them? Their, their, their hatred of you might just be a, a lack of civility, a lack of care. How do I love the person that has parties until 2 a.m.? How do I love the person who parks in front of my driveway? How do I love, and I'm giving you some personal experiences now. (laughs) How do we love them? How do we love them? That's the mark for us, not an attitude of fear or how do we get back at the world, but how do we love? He, he, I I know, I, 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 Stop there. Let's see, where was I? Verse 19. Um, Yeah, the one who fears is not perfected in love. So if we know that we're growing in fear, we're not growing in love. And then he says in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. So the foundation of our ability to love is God. He, He loved us, so we have the ability to love one another. We love because he first loved us. So that is that is why we are we start out small in it, but we can grow in it. Then verse 20, now things are getting difficult. Let's just stop. Okay, verse 20. Someone says, I love God and hates his brother. He is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen 
cannot love God whom He has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So, so here's the kicker. It's not enough just to love God. And, and, and I don't want to say you have to love your brother also in the sense of making it a rule. Because that doesn't get us anywhere. To, to know it as a standard is one thing. But our love for our brethren, our love for one another, grows out of God's love for us. As we love God, we develop love for one another. Right? Some of us are easier to love, some of us are harder to love, and it depends on who you are. You know, some people, they get along just great, but this one wouldn't get along with that one. But this one can get along great with this person who wouldn't get along with these other. I mean, that can happen. But as we walk with Christ, as we walk with God, we grow in love, and as we grow in love, we should end up loving the brethren. And if we are at a place where we're in the church and we're walking with God supposedly, but we don't love the people around us, or we don't love the church in general, we're not even talking about loving the world. We're just talking about loving those people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. If we don't love one another, maybe, you're, maybe one of us isn't one of us. And that's what he's getting at. If you don't love your brother in, around you, if you don't love the members of the church, he says you're a liar. You don't even love God. Because it's impossible for us to love God and not love our brethren. And, and notice he talks about how, how can you love God whom you have not seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen? Somebody that's actually there physically in your life, and if you don't love them, how can you love this God that you haven't even seen? Who's not present? I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easier to love people when they're not around. Maybe that's it. You know, God doesn't make the same demands because he's not there. I can ignore him. I know he's there. Don't get me wrong. But you know what I mean. The problem under my hood that I don't see, I can live with. The problem when I pop the hood and, by the way, this is about to blow up in your face, now I've got to live with it. The problem is still there. God is there even if I think in my life, well, I, I, you know, he's, he's, he's not here. But our brother that we have seen, he's there. He's in our lives. If we don't love them, how do we love God is what he says. We really don't. Because if you love God, you'll love his people. It grows out of that, that love. What John is saying is not that, okay, if you're going to be one of God's people, you better start loving other people. What he is saying is that as we live with God and as we walk with God and as we love God, we will develop his heart for others, and particularly for the church. And so instead of it being a, this is something you have to do, really it's more of a, a sign, a mark. It's the outflow, it's the fruit. Our love for God will become evident, our love for God is evident, in our love for one another, for each other. That's where we'll see that we do love God. And I know I've shared it in the past, but I remember a pastor that said, if people come to him in his church, they have an argument and a disagreement. His first question is, well, do you love you know, person A? Do you love person B? Person B, do you love person A? And, and if they can't profess their love for one another, he doesn't care what their problem is. You know, well, bigger problem is you don't even love each other. I'm, I don't 
I don't want to settle a dispute among you because I want to settle the fact that you all apparently don't even like each other. Let's settle this problem and then maybe we'll look at the other problem. Our love for God is evident in our love for each other. If, if you have a hard time loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, if they bug you, if they annoy you, to the point where you just don't want to have anything to do with them, I mean, we can be honest here. Our brothers and sisters in Christ annoy us, right? Yeah, that's, that's family. Brother is born for adversity. But there's a difference between that's really annoying and I don't like you and I don't want to have you around. That, I hate you. That's another thing. And if you find in your heart that you really don't like the, the people of the church, I would suggest you look really close to make sure you're part of the church. And so when people talk about that you know, they're going to go off and do their spirituality on their own, that they don't need the church, that they're going to worship at home and they're going to go on walks and worship God in the park and things like that, you know, maybe you're going to have do something. But our love for God is evident in our love for each other. And, and the word we use to describe the whole of each other together is the church. And so our love for one another will be evident in our attitude towards the church, the body of Christ. And if we have no love for the church, if we have no love for one another, you know, like I said last week, the church is very important to Jesus. He cares about the church a lot. He died on the cross so that he could make his church and he could build his church and he says the gates of hell aren't going to overcome his church and he called the church his bride. And so for, for his children to say, I don't need Jesus' bride. I don't like Jesus' bride. I don't love Jesus' bride. Well, there's a good chance you're not part of the bride. You're not part of the church if that's your attitude. If you're not part of the church, if you don't love God, you're in trouble. Now, there are, there are believers sometimes who uh, will disappear, you know, or they'll, they'll go elsewhere. And I've seen this. I, I, I've seen where, you know, you have, we have Sunday school Bible studies, you know, adult Bible studies. And, and I can think of experiences where somebody who was in a Bible study stopped going to that Bible study. And, and, and they would come to church early because other members of their family were going to the Bible studies, and they would, they would sit in here. And I was too uh, young at the time to realize what was going on, but now I know their love for that body, that Bible study, had dwindled. And it wasn't too long before their love for the body in here dwindled. And they went elsewhere. And that happens, right? In America, we uh, church hopping. You know, something happens over here, I go over there. Uh, I don't like something over here, I go over there. That, that happens, right? What is our heart attitude when that happens? You know, do we get angry with them? Or do we love them? I think of, uh, in my own life, I've got a brother who, years ago, cut the family out of his life, stopped having any contact with us. And it hurts. In fact, the first contact I had with him in eight years was when I was in the hospital. And as soon as he found out I was okay, I didn't hear again from him. 
We wonder what it will be like if we ever reunite. Not he and I. I, ha- I don't know what he thinks. Maybe he doesn't even worry about it. But we wonder what it will be like if, if he's ever allowing us back into his life. If we'll ever be united again. But I know as difficult as it feels, it's not impossible. And I know as I wrestle with my heart, even though I'm ticked and annoyed, and you got to understand me, uh, I'm the type, it's, uh, hey, you don't want to be in my life? I won't even think about you. Go on. But I know deep down I still love them. And it's in our hearts. We know if we examine our hearts, we know whether or not we have love for the brethren or not. Even if they hurt us. Even if they leave us. Well, what's your heart say? Yeah, it might be uncomfortable the next time you see them. But you still love them. Maybe that problem was something we couldn't fix, but we still, we still love them. John is saying this commandment we have from Him, from Jesus. In John chapter 13, that's where Jesus gives it to us. In verse 34, He said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. You know, and how did Jesus love us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So yeah, we get hurt and people uh, betray us. What is our heart attitude towards them? We love them. He said in verse 35 that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Only Mark for are you his disciples. He doesn't say by this people will know that you're my disciples by your wonderful, miraculous works. He doesn't say by this people will know that you're my disciples by your great exegesis. He doesn't say, by this people will know that you are my disciples, by your wonderful ministries. No. By this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So so as we are working uh, hard in America to make bigger churches with fancier ministries and, and better music and better experiences... Those things in and of themselves are not bad, but if they are without love, as Paul says, they become a clanging gong. They're pointless. They're worthless without love. So so how do we love one another? How do we have love for one another the way Jesus says? How do we love one another when we know that we're difficult and everybody around us is difficult and we get tired of being around other people and chances are you get tired about yourself too and You're the only one that you can't get away from, so you've learned to live with yourself. How do we love others? If you flip back with me just a little bit in 1 John chapter 3, in verse, and again, we just have to cut in at a spot or we'll be here all day. But 1 John 3, verse 16. John says, We know love by this that He laid down His life for us. All the way back, you know, we know love by this. He laid down His life for us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. This is how we know what love is. We know it as seeing it, and we know it because if He hadn't done that, we wouldn't have been able to experience His love. But He continues in, in verse 16, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. 
And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How do we love one another? Well, Christian love, John says, is sacrificial in nature. We love one another through, not by making sacrifices, as uh, Jesus said, you know, I, I, sacrifices and offerings I did not ask for, but a contrite heart. We're not talking about making sacrifices as a way of earning or a way of uh, obtaining that love, but that love for one another is going to be sacrificial. Because it means that I take on another person's weaknesses. Paul tells us to bear one another's burdens. When you love somebody, they don't have to measure up. When you love them, you sacrifice to help. You, you, you put up with their, in, their, their intricate ways of being. There are idiosyncrasies, right? They, they, they act a certain way, and you're just like, ah, that's just them. I love them, right? When you love somebody, you put up with things. You sacrifice things. You, you encourage them, and you help one another. That The Christian love, the idea of Christian love, is that it should be sacrificial in nature, just like Jesus died on the cross for us. Not that we have to die for one another but we die to ourselves. We consider the other as more important than ourselves. We look out for not only our interests, but the interests of others. That's sacrifice. Anytime a selfish human being has to take their needs and their desires and put them aside for somebody else's, that's a sacrifice. And that is a mark of Christian love because the way the world loves isn't really love. It's more of what we receive, what we get what we can take, that's the idea of, you know, what am I getting out of this is the heart's attitude of love in the world. But the Christian attitude, the, the, the attitude that God has and that Christ has displayed for us is that we would love one another sacrificially. Not what am I looking for, not what do I want, but what's good for the other person. What are their desires? What are their needs? And that's tough stuff. I mean, it just is. He continues in verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? How does the love of God abide in somebody who closes their... Notice he doesn't say their brother in need and gives them everything. He says, sees their brother in need and closes his heart. That's two different things. Because sometimes we can see a brother in need or a person in need and, and we can say, well, I could do this, but it will actually cause more damage. What do I do that actually helps? What can I do that will actually benefit? Sometimes you, you see a brother in need and you know what? They don't need you. And that's a hard thing to accept sometimes. But when we stop and ask, What's really going to help? You know, it's the old wisdom of, uh, does this need to be said? If it needs to be said, does it need to be said now? And if it needs to be said now, does it need to be said by me? Well, if not, maybe I'm not going to help, even though I love. That's different than closing your heart. Closing your heart is you have, the, you have the world's goods, and you see a brother in need, and you close your heart against them. That is a, that is a lack of love. That is, I know I have something that could do them good. I know that I have something that will help, 
but I want to keep it for myself. Or I don't want to help them. I close my heart to them. That, that is not an act of love. And that's why he says, how does the love of God abide in him? You know, that we should. And, and there are plenty of places throughout Scripture to talk about bearing one another's burdens, helping one another out. There, there are also admonitions and times in Scripture where Paul said, kick the brother out of the church. And that seems cruel and mean, but why did he say it? To save him. Don't allow him to live in his sin in your midst. Kick him out. Hand him over to Satan so that you can get him back. And sometimes we have to do a hard thing. Paul said that there were believers that weren't working. And they were relying upon the rest of the church to do things for them. And he said, no. If you won't work, they won't eat. And even the widows that were put on the list, they should at least do something to help was the expectation that there there shouldn't be the idea of, oh, I'm just going to freeload within the church. Now, a hard attitude about that is completely different to closing our hearts to another who is in need. No, we, we should keep our hearts open to one another. That's what he's really talking about is our heart attitude. How does the love of God abide in a person who closes their hearts to others? They're in need. You have what would help them but you close your heart to them. John finishes in verse 18. He says, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Let's not just love by saying, Oh, I love you. I mean, this is like James said, where uh, again, you know, a believer has no coat and is hungry and they're cold and you say, Go, be warm and be fed, but you don't do anything to help. Well, that's not... That's not faith that's not love it says let us not love with word or with tongue let's not just love in by words and what we say but in deed and truth and, and i think that's very close and tied up with the idea of sacrificial love that we love one another through our actions love is a verb and dc talk did not come up with that idea the the word love is a verb agape is a verb they just coined it into a nice song We love one another through actions. Yeah, you can have a feeling of love for somebody, but love becomes real when we live it out. When we live it out in action. And and oftentimes, unfortunately for us, because we don't like to, sacrificial action. So how do we love the church? How How do believers love the church? And how do we know what church we're a part of? What what assembly of those who have been called out to follow Jesus? One question I think that we have to ask ourselves is we need to look at ourselves and say, well, what am I doing? You know, America has become very consumeristic. As much as I've been supported by working retail through the years at different times, it drives me nuts that we have so many stores that you can buy stuff in. You know, we, we, we buy more than we make in many ways. Very few of us make anything. We just pass it along. And we buy. And we consume. And sometimes we consume when it comes to faith and to church as well. What are we as we come together? Are we consumers or are we producers? I think if you look at your life, and there's always different times. Sometimes you consume because you can't produce. You know, sometimes life has been hard, and for one reason or another, 
you're not able to do the things you were able to do. And that's understandable. Again, this is about the heart. I think sometimes, and I think it's growing in America, that there is a heart of consumerism within the church. It's more about what can I get out of this than what can I put into it. You know, nobody's quoting JFK anymore in the country. It's no longer about ask not what your country can do for you. These days, it's what am I going to get, Uncle Sam? What am I getting? How do I keep what I get? And I think it's bleeding into the church as well, and, and if, if maybe bleeding in is not even the right phrase. But if our heart attitude is, is I'm just here to receive. I'm just here to take something. And, and, and we're seeing this in the church. I was just seeing an article yesterday talking about pastors that were struggling with, do we continue to stream online after the pandemic is over? And their problem is that they had so many church members, like 60%, who were refusing or not planning to come back to gather together because it was easier at home. It was more comfortable at home. And, and so they're wondering, do we need to shut that off so that they'll come back? we got to be careful. It's a blessing. You're sick and not able to come in. It's a blessing. You're traveling and you want to connect with church. It's a blessing. But if we take a blessing too far, it can become a weakness. We take a blessing too far, it can become a curse to us where we become consumers instead of participants. Remember, a church is a group of people called out and called together. So if we never get together, if you had a church that was just streaming online and people never got together, I don't think you could call it a church. It would be something else. But it would not technically be a church. And we have to be careful about our heart attitude, just like we got to wonder about the brother who closes his heart against uh, one who's in need. I think a big part of being the church is showing up for one another, encouraging one another in ministry and in worship. This, the church used to consider coming together and worshiping on Sunday morning as work. This was their work for the Lord, that we came to worship God. We do that together. I think one of the ways that we show love for one another is by supporting the body. He talks about your brother who is in need, and obviously, yeah, when we have fellow believers that are in need and we have the ability to help them, to, to come alongside of them and carry their burden with them and help them is a good thing. But beyond that, we support the body in the offering, what we just did, our tithes and offerings. We support the body of Christ, the work and the ministry of the building. And again, I mean, yeah, the building is temporal, but it's where we visit together. I've known people that will go to church but refuse to participate financially with the church. For one reason or another, usually it's very judgy. Usually it's very, you know, I've got my reasons. You guys don't do things right. Okay. I've been there. I've had that attitude. Church doesn't do things right. So I'm going to use my money the way I want to use it. But it wasn't an attitude of love, was it? But when we love the body, and I've noticed this in myself in the church that I've gone to, when, you know, is it a church? I won't necessarily give them an offering. Maybe I'll throw a few bucks in the plate if I've got them on me, but mostly, no. Because I've got a home church where I take my offering to, and that's where I, that's where I give. 
That happens to be here. But as we've gone to different churches and we've looked for churches before I became a pastor, we'd visit this church, we'd visit that church. It was when we felt like this was the place God called us to be, then it became a part of I am joining with this church more so than in membership. I have partnered and joined with churches when I started giving at that church and participating in that church's ministry. That is a big way that we participate. And you feel like you're a part of this body. Even as a young guy, I remember that feeling of, you know, I I mean, it wasn't like I was making a dent in the church's budget, trust me. But I knew, I felt like I'm a part of this church now because I'm giving to this church now. That is a deed by which we show love for the brethren. And if we have an attitude of, I'm going to show up and I'm going to take whatever I can get, but I'm not going to give anything, that's not coming from an attitude of love. Now, there's always going to be circumstances where people maybe aren't able to do certain things. But we're talking about a heart attitude. The, the actions, remember, just like love for the brethren show that we love God, the actions are the evidence, not how we obtain it. We're talking about heart attitudes. And these are some deeds where we can see that we have love for the church and for one another. So I, I would encourage you to consider, as you think about, do I love my brethren? Do I love the church? Do I show God love? Are we living sacrificially? for one another, doing things that maybe take us out of our time or take us out of our personal space, take us out of our comfort zone for other people? Am I supporting the ministry and the work of God in the body? If not, why not? Is there something wrong with my heart? Am I willing to show up and help in ministry and to serve? If not, why not? Is there something about my heart? Or is it just, right now I just can't? I've known people and they've come up to me and said, you know, I would love to be able to do this. I would love to be able to do that. I just can't right now. We're not talking about that. that yeah, that's the, the heart is willing. The flesh is weak. And, and not in a, in a sinning way, but just the heart wants to serve, but the flesh is in the way. The body won't let you anymore. But what about when we have the ability and we just don't have the desire? What about when we have the ability but we close our heart? Do we love the body of Christ in that? Are we showing love? We will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. The world will know we are his disciples if we love one another. Do we love each other? Can you honestly Look at your heart and honestly answer the question. Do we as a body love one another like Christ would have us love one another? I sure hope so. But we need to examine our hearts. Do we love one another? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us the body of Christ, the church, as a place to shape us and to form us and help us to grow as believers. Lord, as we come together, I pray that we would have love for one another. Not, not as, a, uh, as a law, as a way of trying to obtain righteousness in our own selves, but Lord, as we love you and as we follow you, that, that out of that would flow a love for one another. 
And Lord, if we don't have it together here, and, and, but we do have love with you, Lord, I pray that you would help us to heal. Figure out what is wrong in our hearts that we don't love one another. That we might ask for or offer forgiveness. That we would be united as believers. Lord, we pray for those who have hurt us in the past. Maybe we struggle to love them because we feel betrayed or they have left us or they have cut us out of their lives. Lord, remind us of your love for us even when we were still sinners. Help us to love those who have turned their backs on us as well. Help us to love those who have left us when we needed them. Lord, we pray that we would grow in love. That, that if we were known about anything by the community around us, it would be a love for one another. We pray, Father, for Your Holy Spirit's strength and guidance. We know we can't do it on our own, and if we tried to do it on our own, it wouldn't be right. Father, fill our hearts with Your love that we might love one another. We pray, Lord, that you would guide us and convict us in our hearts. Are there ways that we are withholding our love? Are we closing our heart up to the needs of those around us? Show us, Father, we pray. Help us to grow in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.